All right, good afternoon, New Philly Seaside. Good afternoon. You guys here? Your physical body here? Your mind somewhere else? Come on. All right. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Philippians is after 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then it's God eats potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Easy way to memorize the four books after 1st and 2nd Corinthians. All right, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Yeah, before I continue today, we have one of our core leaders uh, from Seoul that's visiting us here at New Philly Seaside. It's Cassandra Robertson. Cassandra, could you just stand up for a moment? She's one of our core leaders. The core leaders of our church, there's 11 of them. Uh, they are the governing elders of uh, the entire church. Uh, Caleb and Mina are also part of that core team. And we make some important decisions. And we also talk about church discipline if that ever comes up. So, you know, if, uh, if you do something, if you do something real foolish, you might get kicked out of our church. And, uh, we don't just talk about church discipline. We do, uh, exercise it. Uh, but I believe that church discipline is not optional. It really is uh, the mandate of scripture. Uh, and when you don't exercise church discipline, you're going to reap the consequences of allowing certain things to continue in the church community. Uh, that's not my message today, all right? <laughs> but I just want to talk about that one of our core members, core leaders from Seoul is visiting us today. All right, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Read with me here. I'm going to read in the ESV. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Today I want to speak to you about anxiety. Anxiety. This passage here that we just read, it can be broken down into two portions. And it talks about how to deal with anxiety. There's two portions to this passage. And the first portion talks about the, uh, our role, our part in dealing with anxiety. And then the second part talks about God's role in dealing with anxiety. So let me unpack this passage for you. It starts with verse 6, which talks about, our part. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our part in dealing with anxiety is not to give into it. Now, some people feel like, ah, I'm just a worry wart. I'm just a warrior. Like, not a warrior, but a warrior. warrior. It's just, I can't help it. My mind just wanders and 
No, you can't help it. And scripture says not to give in to it. This means to no longer tolerate it, to disallow it. Scripture does not treat anxiety as something that's harmless. Scripture tells us to deal with it right away. Do not be anxious about anything. Likewise, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, about your body, or the clothes that you will wear. Now, back then, they didn't have Forever 21 and Zara and Gucci and all these other name brands. But people back then still worried about clothes. And here Jesus is preaching a message with spiritual ramifications. People worry about clothes. And Jesus is like, you know what? Let me tell you something. Don't worry about food, about your physical body, about your clothes. Don't be anxious about those things. Which means that Jesus was addressing a spirit that was present among the people. They were worrying about these things. And it makes sense. Actually, today we think, oh, we have a lot to worry about. But back then, it was a very agricultural economy. So, you know, you trade goods. That's what the, uh, the economy system was ma- mainly based on. You trade things to get things. And so there was a lot to worry about in those matters. But Jesus still said, do not be anxious. And take note that this is a command. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, this is a command. This is a command. Much like, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Scripture also commands us, do not be anxious. This is a command that we cannot afford to treat lightly. Why? Because anxiety is very destructive. Let me talk about some of the ways that anxiety is destructive. First, Anxiety can damage your physical body. According to WebMD, it says this. Chronic worry and emotional stress can trigger a host of health problems. The problem occurs when fight or flight is triggered daily by excessive worry and anxiety. The fight or flight response causes the body's sympathetic nervous system to release stress hormones such as cortisol cortisol and these hormones can boost blood sugar levels and triglycerides that can be used by the body for fuel these hormones though they also cause physical reactions such as difficulty swallowing dizziness dry mouth fast heartbeat fatigue headaches inability to concentrate irritability muscle aches and tension nausea Rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. Now, if you experience these symptoms now and then, it's okay. But what what MD is saying is when you experience this every day because of your constant worrying, it takes a toll on your body. Your body was not meant to experience these things all the time. You're supposed to experience this when you're the quarterback for a team that's about to compete in the Super Bowl. You might get a little bit of shortness of breath. That's normal. You know, if you're a pastor of a church and you're about to get up and preach a powerful message, you might get a little bit of dizziness or something like that. That's just the pressure of the situation. That stress, that, that kind of pressure is normal. But when you experience it every single day, for things 
that are just hypothetical. Things that aren't even real. You're just making it up out of your own vivid imagination. Your body, it takes a toll on your body. WebMD goes on to say it can also interfere with your appetite, your sleep. And when it's left untreated, it can have serious physical consequences, such as the suppression of your immune system. Your immune system gets weaker and weaker through chronic anxiety. Digestive disorders. Doctors also note that ulcers are caused by a lot of stress and worry. High blood pressure, short-term memory loss, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Occasional stress is good because your body readies itself for whatever it is facing, but ongoing anxiety puts the body under continual stress, and it really takes a toll. It harms your physical body. You need to face the music. Any good doctor will tell you that. You know, some people will will have all these weird symptoms. And I remember uh, doing college ministry at Columbia University. And I would go with these students to the ER. I would pray with them on the phone because they're at the ER. And they would just say, I can't breathe. There's got to be something wrong with me. I can't breathe. I'm getting dizzy. I fainted. I'm like, all right, then go, go, go get checked out by Columbia, you know, uh, hospital up there, Columbia University Hospital. There's got to be some good hospitals up there. All right, let's see what the doctors say. And the doctors, you know, call, they're called back an hour or two later, and they say, um, Christian Gansanim, uh, that's what they used to call me back then. I was staffed with Campus Crusade. Christian Gansanim, the doctors did a whole full body checkup, and they said that I'm perfectly healthy. And so they said, uh, I must be dehydrated. Or just under a lot of stress. And they told me to go home and drink a lot of water. And I was like, all right, well, well then do that. And they were like, no, the doctors are wrong. I clearly felt dizzy. I had shortness of breath. There's something wrong with me. I got to go find another doctor. And then they get all worried about that. And, but the, the root cause of a lot of, a lot of these Columbia students' problems were actually just anxiety. They didn't know how to deal with anxiety. It was taking a toll on their body and they didn't know. Second, anxiety is destructive because it can damage your relationships. It can cause you to be ultra-sensitive to people because you're so worried about something. Uh, You can see everybody as a potential threat. uh, Or it can cause you to cope with your anxiety via overeating, smoking, alcohol, or drugs, which can in turn harm your relationships. So anxiety can really put a wedge in your most important relationships in your life. In fact, many Christian counseling textbooks, uh, my, I mean, not many, but my Christian counseling textbook, I'm taking Christian counseling right now for my final semester of seminary. And in the book, it said that anxiety is the root cause of almost every mental illness or psychological problem. And so when Freud came up with his psychoanalytic theories or uh, all the other wonderful uh, psychologists that uh, helped to contribute toward uh, development of psychology. Uh, what's that guy's name? There was a PK in there in the earlier chapters. I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, although they didn't have Christian biblical approaches, they, they made uh, 
very good contributions towards psychoanalysis. And when they really came down to it, doing thousands and thousands of cases, they realized anxiety is almost always the root cause of mental illness and psychological disorders. Isn't that interesting? Third, anxiety terrorizes faith. Just like we deal with terrorists today in some countries, anxiety terrorizes the Christian walk. It causes you to live in fear and not faith. You know, if you're in a city where there's constant terrorism going on, bombs exploding, suicide bombers going into malls and buses and blowing things up, I mean, it really takes a toll on how you live your life in that city. Or it's the same thing. When we allow worry and anxiety to continually come into our lives and blow itself up and mess up our ability to think clearly, mess up our ability to trust the Lord, it also terrorizes our ability to have faith in God. You see, when you focus on anxiety, you end up magnifying your problems rather than magnifying God. This is what the Israelites did in the wilderness over and over again. Whenever there was a difficulty that came up, they worried about it. They grumbled about it. So instead of magnifying the God who can deliver them and provide for them, they magnify the problems that they were worried about. And it totally decimated their ability to trust God and have faith in God. Anxiety terrorizes our ability to trust God. It it terrorizes faith. So as you can see, anxiety is very destructive. In fact, in my many years of doing healing and deliverance ministry in the church, I found that some people's anxiety problems is made even worse by a demon, a spirit of anxiety or a spirit of fear that causes the anxiety to go to excessive levels. So some of these people, you can really see clearly that it's a demonic attack because some people, although they know better in their mind, they're listening to a message like this and they'll be like, okay, anxiety is bad. I need to stop worrying. They still can't stop worrying. Like the, the anxiety escalates to levels where it just goes so out of control that they can't sleep, they can't think, they can't pray. You know, I, I was praying for a, a girl the other uh, two weeks ago on a Sunday service. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I've just been experiencing the most wonderful season of growth here at New Philly. But recently I saw a weird movie and it instilled this fear inside of me. That, and I started getting anxious about whether I'm going to go to hell or not. I'm, and she's like, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved by the grace of God. But this constant worry about going to hell... Well, it kept, kept just terrorizing my mind. And so I haven't been able to sleep. I haven't been able to pray. Pastor Christian, what should I do? And so I just looked at her. I said, hey, that's a, that's a demon of anxiety. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to take authority and you'll be set free. And she said, all right. So I prayed for her right there. And I prayed for her. The, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon her. And she's a quiet girl. She's a real quiet girl. And all of a sudden, she just started screaming at the top of her lungs. Like, ah! She just started screaming at the top of her lungs. Everybody, whoa, whoa, what's going on over there? And then she started coughing. And you could see the evil spirit of fear and anxiety. It was leaving her. It was, it was the stronghold was being broken. 
Sometimes you need a man of God to do that for you. Because anxiety can be made excessively worse in some cases by a demon of anxiety. So you got to have a holistic approach toward dealing with this and helping people. Sometimes it's more than just meets the eye. Sometimes it's just not, it's not as simple as just stop, being, stop worrying. For some people, there's a demon you can't counsel out. you got to cast it out. So let's get this straight. Worrying is not harmless. Anxiety is not our friend. Everybody say that. Anxiety is not my friend. Anxiety is your enemy. No, I didn't tell you to repeat that, all right? I'm just preaching to you. Just listen. Anxiety is your enemy. It's not your friend. And this is why Scripture commands us to not be anxious. And this is a command that we cannot afford to treat lightly. Now, Scripture says here, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. This means Big or small, God does not want you to worry about anything. This could be a class presentation, meeting newcomers at church, taking a final exam, small things to big things like getting married, dealing with a financial crisis in your life, moving to another country for your uh, church's church plants, uh, going through the great tribulation. That's a pretty big thing to worry about, right? In fact, Jesus actually gives the example of being persecuted and being brought to trial for the gospel as an example of something not to worry about. You know, if we're going through the Great Tribulation or there's some crazy persecution that breaks out in Busan or in Seoul or something like that next week, right? And all of us, we're, we're, we're being brought to trial. We're being questioned and we're being beaten. Some of us locked up, put in prison. Our money, our, our finances being confiscated, our pension being taken away. Can you imagine all that kind of persecution breaking out? If something like that were to increase, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, when this happens, you better think of something good to say because now is the time to worry. No. <laughs> Jesus said this, Mark 13, 11, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Here's a little news for you. If you ever face that kind of persecution, and according to your pastor's end-time theology, you might, you, sh- you might just want to get ready for it because your pastor believes that we are going to go through the Great Tribulation. There is no pre-trib rapture according to what I teach here. Here's the thing about great persecution, severe persecution. You think, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to deny my Christ before men. I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to stand strong. But when that thing happens, it's real tough. Like during the Korean War, you know how many Christians deny Christ? Because communist people came and they just started rounding up all the Christians. Said, said you know, renounce your faith or we're going to shoot you. And Korean Christians would be like, well, I'm not going to renounce him. And they get shot right away. And then they, they would just throw them into a, uh, they make them uh, dig their own graves. And they would just push people in after they were dead. After you see like 10 of your neighbors getting shot dead, when it came to you, a lot of, a lot of Korean Christians, they, they renounced Christ. 
In fact, that happened also in the time of Rome. And a lot of Christians were like, you know, I'm going into, in, with, in with the lions. I'm not afraid of some lions, you know. No, they were horrified. The lions, they tore you up. You know, later on in Rome's history, you know, they threw Christians into the lions. You know, that, that, a lot of Christians, they deny the, deny the faith. And so you thinking, man, I will not deny Christ. Here's a little news for you. When it actually happens, you're going to need a lot of grace. You're going to need a lot of grace just to say, I will not denounce, renounce Christ. But you're also going to need more grace than that to say something articulate in that moment. You know, m- most of you, without the grace, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> you should believe in Christ because he is the Lord, Lord, Lord of lords, king of kings. He's going to judge you and all of you. Repent. Die. Like, you will not be very articulate without the grace of God. And what Jesus is saying is, look, when that stuff happens, don't get anxious about it. Because you get anxious, you're going to sound like that. You're going to stutter. You're not going to say anything that's going to be a witness to any of those people that are persecuting you. Instead, have peace and just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you what you need to say on that day. When, the Holy, when you say what the Holy Spirit gives you at that, at that moment, oh, it's going to be powerful. You know, people, are, are, people may even just kill you anyway, but then later on they come to Christ. And that's what happened with Dr. Jungong Kim, the founder of Campus Crusade in Korea. You know, Dr. Jungong Kim, just in a nutshell, his story is he was, a, he was from a wealthy Christian family. And when the Korean, right before the Korean War broke out, they rounded up his whole family from a very rich neighborhood, took him up to the hills, these Communist Party people. And then they started demanding that the whole family renounce Christ. So there, I believe his parents were there, and they refused. And so they beat the parents to death in front of his eyes. Then they next went to his wife. And they beat his wife in front of him. They're beating him. At the same time, they were beating her more so that she died in front of his eyes. But still, Dr. Kim refused to renounce Christ. Can you imagine that, seeing your family beaten to death in front of you? And these are like young 18, 20-year-old kids that had joined the Communist Party. And then they beat him and left him for dead. A day or two later, he woke up because God didn't let him die. And he came down the hill, wandered into the village. And he looked for the very young people that beat his family to death. And for, well, first he had to find some food. So he had found some food and they found, he found his daughter actually. His daughter was running around homeless. And then, and so God's grace was all over. And then, and then he actually confronted those young men. He said, you, you left me for dead, but God has not allowed me to die. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he led one of those young men to Christ. One of those young men, he came to Christ later. Isn't that crazy? God's been already doing it. And God will do it also. These stories will abound in the future. But if you, if, you don't, if you don't say what the Holy Spirit gives you in that moment, if you get all anxious and worried and full of fear, none of, none of these testimonies are going to get written. There's going to be a lot of ugly deaths. A lot of people dying for their faith. And it's going to be all ugly and messy. You know? But Jesus himself says, whether big or small, don't be anxious about anything. About anything. 
Alright, so we're ready to take authority over anxiety. Now, what do we do? Read the rest of that verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Once again, there it is. In everything. That means big or small. The contents of our requests are to be anything and everything that causes us to worry. Anything that's important to us, we are to bring that to God. And the Bible says, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I thought God already knows what we want before we ask of him. What is the use? What's the point of letting it be made known? Isn't God going to just say, uh, I already knew that? Let your requests be made known to God. What's the point of that? If he already knows what are my requests, what my requests are. Well, if he already knows that, what's the point of that? Isn't God omniscient? He knows all things. Well, here's the thing. He is omniscient. He does know the requests that are on your heart before you even articulate them to him. But he still wants you to do it. Why? Because it's because it's not that he doesn't have a clue as to what we're worrying about. It's that God is relational and he wants an invitation from us to intervene in our situations. He wants us to invite him into the boat when we're in the storm. He wants us to invite him onto the road where we have all these questions on our hearts. He's waiting for us to invite him in. He wants to hear how we want him to intervene. Now, it's up to him whether he agrees to that or not. But he wants to hear you articulate it. So you got to let your requests be known to God, or as the NIV put it, present your requests to God. There's got to be a presentation of the requests that are on your heart that you feel like if these requests get fulfilled, then these issues can be taken care of. Present your requests to God. Now, this presentation of our requests, the Bible here gives us a very specific way in which we are to present it. So I'm going to talk about the three ways that the Bible here talks about. First, the content of our presentation, all right, I already talked about that, can be about everything. So the content of of our presentation can be about anything. Second, the mode of presenting our requests is done via Prayer and supplication. In NIV, it says prayer and petition. The same essential meaning of the word. Okay? Our, the mode of presenting our request to God is done via prayer and petition. It doesn't say prayer and meditation. God doesn't want us to meditate our worries away, which some religions advocate. He wants us to engage the things that are occupying our minds and then to articulate to him how we want him to intervene. You may be going through a lawsuit right now or a family financial difficulty. But if you're doing your part to deal with it, worrying isn't going to change anything about it. Worrying is not going to change a single iota of its outcome. Worrying is actually quite useless. So the Bible says, take the matter to God and petition him. When there's an injustice in our world, many countries, people take petitions 
before their government officials all the time. It says, this immigration law, we petition you, Senator, to make a change. These adoption laws, we petition you, President of the United States, bring some changes. These North Korean refugees, they shouldn't be no longer, they should no longer be blocked from entering the U.S. These are refugees. Let's give them some asylum. So you pass the North Korea Human Rights uh, uh, Act or something like that. I forget which law it was. It was one of my friends, she pushed the law forward and it allowed the adoption and the asylum of North Korean refugees into, the, into America. We petition our government officials all the time when there's injustices, when we desire things to be made right, why can't we petition the king of kings more and more? He can make those changes. He can make things different. He can bring the breakthrough in a moment. We got to learn how to petition him. So if a loved one is very sick, present that request to God via prayer and petition. Petition or supplication is different than intercession. Intercession is when you pray to God about others. Supplication is when you pray to God about yourself. The Bible doesn't call supplication selfish. It doesn't call petitions unnecessary. It actually says do it. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. That's an old... You know, vacation Bible school, like Sunday school song. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, 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 higher. Lift Jesus higher. Lower, 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 lower. Stop saying lower. Remember that? It comes from a Bible verse, First Peter 5, 7. Cast your anxiety on God because he cares for you. And one way in which we cast all our anxiety on God is by presenting our requests to him via prayer and petition. So everything is the content. Prayer and petition is the mode of presenting our requests. And scripture also mentions the attitude by which we are to present these requests. And that attitude is the attitude of gratitude. <laughs> it's the attitude of thanksgiving. Right? It says, but in everything, it says here, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice that it does not say, let your complaints be made known to God. It says, let your requests be made known to God. But without thanksgiving, presenting your requests can quickly degenerate into complaining to God about the things you're worrying about. So it's very important that the attitude by which you bring these requests is an attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that means no matter what crisis you're going through, take the moment to come with a heart of thanksgiving. Take a moment just to thank God for the, for the good things. You know, don't just complain to God about all the things that are wrong in your life. Take a moment and thank God for the things that are good in your life. 
It has an amazing way of just causing you to connect with God. You know, on New Philly missions trips and in our small groups and community group ministries, New Philly, we do this thing called AA. It stands for Affirmation and Appreciation. Now, if you, how many of you guys you participated in an AA session? All right. All right, let's do some more AA over here, okay? Now, if you've ever been on a mission trip or you do um, small group or community group ministry, once a semester, we have AA week. I hope you guys have been practicing that here. Make sure it happens. And if you've ever been part of a good AA session, everyone comes out of that session feeling like they're just best friends with everybody in the room. It's just amazing what takes place. Um, you just feel so loved and connected to each other. Even if you don't even know them that well. Even if they like make up things that you know aren't completely true. But they say things to appreciate. Like, like you're on a mission trip with somebody and you don't know Anastasia that well. You don't know, you know, uh, Cassandra that well. But, you know, you just take the moment and be like, you know, I really appreciated Anastasia. How, how you got the, the water for all of the um, pastors the other day. You know, I, I just saw the servant's heart in you as you did that. And I just really appreciated that. You're such, such a servant-hearted person. And the fact is, Anastasia is quite selfish. And she's just learning how to be servant-hearted. So it's not completely accurate. But still, when she hears that, she feels so loved. She feels so relationally connected. Like, oh, I just want to give you a hug. Thank you. Like, why does our hearts respond that way? And I got to admit, I've been amazed at how great this stuff works. Like, I mean, when I, when I heard about doing this regularly, you know, in our small groups, you know, I, I had my doubts, you know. But there's a couple of leaders, they just, they just live and die by the AA ministry. And they push for it. And I really reflect on my, on my experiences with it. And I got to admit, it's been pretty amazing. Our missions director, Lisa, she leads the best AA sessions. When I went to West Papua Missions with her in Indonesia, man, it was so powerful. It was so powerful. I mean, in the beginning, she was, it felt like she was forcing everybody to do it. Like, she was, like, militant about it. She's like, no, hey, hey, now, give us three. That's only two. Give us three. Like, no. But as we did it, oh, man. I mean, it was anointed. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. Um, you see, whenever we express appreciation and feel gratitude towards someone, it activates the relational center of our brain. This is what Pastor Sonny Robinson talked about at our churchwide retreat. It activates this part of our brain, and it's the place where we relate to people and feel love. You see, when you don't feel appreciation for somebody, that part of you shuts off. So if you, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, unless that gets activated, you're not going to feel, you're going to feel like a wall is up. You're not going to feel connected with that person. So appreciation activates the relational center of our brain. So that's why it makes us feel instantly connected with that person. You know, my spiritual mother and father, Pastor Benjamin and Sonny Robinson, they do marriage conferences in America where they teach AA as a basic skill toward building a healthy marriage. And so they try to teach uh, Aaron and I to do it every day. They said, do five AAs a day. And I remember like a couple years ago, we did it for like three days. 
And it was powerful. <laughs> it was powerful. I think it was so powerful, it's lasted this entire time. No, um, we, we're still getting in the habit of doing it regularly. But when we take time, like, especially when there's like a conflict and there's like a wedge between us, we just take a moment and just, no, we got to do AA. Let's do AA. And we go, all right, fine. Uh, you start. No, you start. <laughs> all right, honey, I appreciate how you um, ironed my shirt for me on Sunday morning. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, honey, I appreciate it. How um, you went up and you led prayer at church with such boldness and just clarity. Yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> Honey, I appreciate, you know, and, we, and I affirm, I affirm that, you know, you're, you're such a, you know, amazing pastor. You're, you're such a servant-hearted wife, you know, whatever. Like, we just start doing it, and it just really reconnects us relationally. So that whatever conflict we had, we're able to actually talk it out. Uh, with clarity, you know, when that relational center is shut off, no matter how much you talk to each other, you're going to get nowhere because you're not actually relating to each other. You're just like arguing your point, arguing your point. You know what I mean? But there's going to be no conclusion. There's going to be no peace. Appreciation, affirmation is powerful. Now, when it comes down to it, Anxiety is not just a poor habit. Anxiety is essentially a matter of faith. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus commanded us not to be anxious, he also said this, verse 28 to 30. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes, so the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. You see, Jesus exposes the essential issue when it comes to anxiety. It's not just a bad habit. Anxiety is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust in God. When you allow yourselves to be given over to anxiety, what you're telling God is, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you really care about these aspects of my life, about the crisis that I'm going through. And so, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we know how those things turn out. The moment we dwell on anxiety, we allow ourselves to slip into moments of unbelief. We've got to make that connection in our mind. Because for Americans, they think worrying is like an American right. I have the right to worry. How dare you violate my right to worry? But you've got to equate that. Anxiety and worry is essentially an aspect. It's an issue of faith. You don't have the right to unbelief. As a Christian, you don't have the right to unbelief. You got to learn how to trust God. You got to learn how to discipline your mind and your heart to trust the God at all. Trust God at all times. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
got to discipline ourselves to trust in him. So our part, part one, is to not be anxious about anything and to present our requests to God. So we got to learn to take authority over anxiety and we got to treat it like a slave. You see, the only thing anxiety is good for is for it to trigger us to present our requests to God and trust him. That's the only thing anxiety is good for. We need to start treating anxiety like a slave, not like our master. Anxiety is not the Lord of all. He is not the anxiety. It is not the Lord of your life. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Amen. Now, our part is to not be anxious and present our requests to God. Now, let's talk about the second portion of this passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our part involves not worrying. God's part involves a promise. Scripture says that if we will do our part, God promises to do his part. And his part is to release Peace into our hearts and minds. The scripture says that peace, this peace is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all understanding. This means that this peace is not held hostage by understanding or a lack of understanding. Even when your situation has not changed, in fact, you might present your request to God. And then your situation gets worse. Sometimes that happens. And you have no understanding as what God is doing. You're like, God, what will happen? I prayed about it and it got worse. But once you pray and you present your request to God, the Bible promises the peace of God will come. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. So even if you, even if things get worse, that peace, you'll be like, man, I don't understand what's going on, but I feel peace. Wow. This stuff works. Hallelujah. I just feel peace. Peace like a river. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. It is not held hostage to your understanding. It's an awesome peace. It's a militant peace. It crushes all causes of anxiety and fear. And it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you know why it's so important that our hearts and minds have the peace of God? Now, we sometimes take the peace of God for granted. Why, why is it important that our hearts and minds are guarded by the peace of God. You know, you know why it's so important? It's because we make our best decisions. And we are able to think the most creatively. Coming up with the most creative solutions. We're able to make the most faith-filled decisions when our hearts and minds are covered in peace. You don't make your best decisions when your heart and mind is covered with anxiety. You make some stupid decisions. You make some hasty decisions, but when you have peace, oh, it's decisions that are filled with deep wisdom. 
Incredible creativity. How did you come up with that? And you were going through what? You're going through all this in your family and you came up with these amazing creative solutions. How'd you do that? Pastor Christian. Well, I can't believe that you were going through all that this past season and you still took the step of faith to plant a church in Australia. Wow, you're just such a faith-filled person. No, 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 no. It's just that I have peace through it all. Even though I had a lot of things to worry about, I chose not to worry. I presented those things to God, and a lot of times when I prayed, those things didn't change right away. But because I had the peace of God, I was still able to make faith-filled decisions. You know, faith-filled decisions should never be delayed by anxiety. And you can only make those types of decisions when your heart and mind is at peace. If what we are worrying about is an imaginative situation or crisis, we got to just learn how to stop worrying. But if it is a real situation or crisis that we got to deal with, check this out. You're going to deal with it best when your heart and mind is covered in peace. You know, sometimes... Things happen in our lives, and you got to deal with it. you got to deal with it, right? And we think if we worry about it, it'll help us to deal with it better. In fact, that's completely not true. If you worry about it, and you get filled with all this anxiety about it, and you can't sleep, can you imagine? You're Tom Brady, or you're Peyton Manning, you know, or Michael Vick. If you're, if you're some superstar quarterback, and you... Have made it to the Super Bowl. This is your dream. You made it to the Super Bowl. It's a championship game. But the week before the Super Bowl, you're so worried about the Super Bowl that you can't sleep. And you're like, no, no, this is good. This is causing me to prepare better for the Super Bowl. So let me worry a little more. But you can't sleep. You sleep at 4 a.m. every day. And you show up to the Super Bowl with bags under your eyes and coaches like, you, re- you ready to play the Super Bowl? You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, coach, I'm, I'm ready. But you haven't slept all week. You couldn't, you couldn't get your workouts in because you were so tired. Your body's all out of whack. You're about, you feel nauseous. You know what I mean? None of that anxiety helped you to prepare for the Super Bowl. You know what will help you prepare, prepare for the Super Bowl? It's prepare for the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's how you prepare for the Super Bowl. You prepare for the Super Bowl. And so when you face certain crises, certain situations in your life, the best way to deal with it is deal with it. It's not worry about it and deal with it. It's just deal with it. Deal with it with the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. You know, sometimes wicked people will do wicked things to you. And when the injustice is done to you, you're going to feel angry. If you don't feel angry, there's something wrong with you. You should feel angry when the injustice is done to you. Somebody steals your money. Somebody uh, wrongs your family. You should feel angry about that. Now, when you feel that anger, you're going to be tempted to start worrying about how to deal with it. You're going to start worrying about what if they do something else on top of that. And all these things start coming into your mind. Right? The best way in that situation to deal with those situations is just to deal with it with peace. Because if you don't have peace about it, that anger is going to start taking over. And you're going to start thinking and imagining, I'm going to take some bats and some of my friends. I'm going to call up Noble. And we are going to go and terrorize 
this family that has stolen my family's money. Oh, we're going to do some damage. We're going to kick off. We're going to cut up some tires. We're going to key up some cars. We're going to do some damage. And just minds filled with revenge. And you're not able to actually just deal with it. Just go to court and sit there and be at peace. Not make a scene at the court. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Come here. And the guards, court, order in the court, order in the court. You know, young man, I'm going to hold you in contempt. You go to jail tonight. <laughs> it just ruined your whole situation. It didn't do you any good. But if you're at peace, just let God in and intervene on that. And you do your part to prepare. You do your part to deal with it. And then things are going to be all right. Things are going to be okay. Now, notice that it says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this phrase, in Christ Jesus, is a favorite phrase of the Apostle Paul. If you read the New Testament, it appears everywhere. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It's a very important theological statement, actually, throughout the New Testament letters of Paul. In Christ Jesus. And he adds it here. That the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, I believe... In Christ Jesus means to abide in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man will abide in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? If you, if you want to bear fruit and you want to abide in him, you've got to learn how to deal with your anxiety. <clears throat> Think of it this way. Jesus never has a moment of anxiety. Amen? Have you thought about that? Even if you look through the Gospels, you never find a moment where Jesus starts to panic. 5,000 people. Jesus, we only got five loaves and two fish. Oh, snap. What am I going to do? What, what am I going to do? Hey, y'all, why don't you prepare some? Y'all, stupid. He did not panic. He said, all right. Bring them here to me. Lord Father, I thank you. Give it away. And he, he didn't worry. When... Uh, the storm hit the ship. Jesus didn't have an anxiety attack. I can't breathe. Can y'all come over? I can't breathe. He just got up. He said, chill. Calm down. The storm came down. Um, and even when Jesus was facing the cross, he didn't worry. Now, you see him in the garden get sent me praying, and you might be like, oh, it looked like he's worried about the cross. Okay. No, it's not that Jesus worried. It's just that Jesus is about to face the cross. <laughs> he wasn't worrying. He just dealt with the real emotions, the pain, the pressures, the anguish of having to endure the cross. If you were to endure the cross tomorrow, you would probably look like that as well. It's not that he was given to worry. It was he was fully present to deal with going to the cross. He didn't, he wasn't, it wasn't like a ghost figure like at this moment. My body will transform, and I will only feel 10% of the pain that I'm about to go through in the next 24 hours. No, 
He was fully present. 100% God, 100% man. He had the ability to deliver himself from it, but he chose to endure the cross for our sake. For the glory of his name, he endured that cross. Today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He observes all the evil that happens on the earth, and he still does not panic. Jesus has compassion and has sympathy and empathy on everything we go through in our lives, but he's never given over to anxiety about it. Just think of it this way. Jesus never falls into anxiety. So when we allow ourselves to fall into anxiety, we are not abiding in Jesus. We're going off and doing our own thing. We're abiding in unbelief. I want you to turn to John 16, 33. This is a really important verse. John 16, 33. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. By going to the cross, Jesus Christ overcame the world. And Jesus says, check it out. In me, you're going to have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But even when you face those troubles, take heart. Don't fear. I've already overcome the world. You abide in me and you'll always have peace. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because of the cross, we can have an everlasting peace that no one can take away. I mean, think, think of it this way. We are all sons and daughters of the most high, most high God. Are we? The Bible says in Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. We're all sons and daughters of God. If we are his sons and daughters. How do you think it makes the father feel. To see his sons and daughters living on the earth. Like orphans. There's incredible provision. Breakthrough. Grace, wisdom, help available. But as sons and daughters, they worry themselves to sickness over little things that happen, big things that happen in their lives. How do you think the father feels when he looks down and sees his sons and daughters acting like orphans? Here's the thing. For people who don't know Christ, they have a lot of things to worry about. Worrying might even help them out a little bit. If they're just apathetic to the things that are happening in lives, then there might be trouble. Like psychologists and secular profession will actually say, you know, you should worry a little bit, but not too much. But for us, we're not orphans. We have a God. We have a Father in heaven that loves us, that cares for us. This Father in heaven cares for every bird in the sky. He clothes every flower in the field. 
If some flowers don't get clothed, it's because God says, I ain't going to clothe those flowers. Those flowers need to die. <laughs> but he, he's, he's so <laughs> intricately, intricately involved and cares for all those things. And he says, using that as an analogy, he says, how much more will your father in heaven take care of you? You have little faith. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added onto you. We've got to stop living like orphans. We've got to start behaving like sons and daughters of the king. Which means there should be no place in our lives for anxiety. To be in Christ Jesus is to be at peace no matter what we go through. If you can't be in peace because you can't get a refund at Zara or you can't get a refund at Uniqlo, or something, you know, like if you can't be at peace about that, I'm feeling conviction right now. <laughs> or you can't, you can't stop worrying about, you know, some, some uh, car issue that you have or some family issue that you have. How are you going to go through the, the, the tribulation? <laughs> you know what I mean? We got to start out small, but we got to build, our, build ourselves up and we got to ready ourselves for the day of great tribulations. And when those tribulations come, we don't have to worry. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be the most glorious hour for the church. It's not going to be just the darkest hour. It's going to be the most glorious hour. If, it's, if God's people will learn to be at peace and not to worry and not to give in to those things... And to learn how to be filled with the Spirit, it's going to be the most glorious hour for the church. So live life with no worries. And when anything that comes up concerns you, bring it to God and present your request to Him. And He will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus through His peace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.